Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Dave Van Horn. Today we're going to talk about what happens with performing and non-performing discounted notes and land contracts when there's an economic turndown with my guest, Dave Van Horn. Thanks for joining me, Dave. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real good, man. I'm in San Diego. How bad could it ever be? You know, from the note and land contract investor's viewpoint, what should be anticipated in a recession when it comes to the availability of performing liens like that at a discount? Well, first of all, there's a lag for us. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say we love a downturn, but we kind of love a downturn because it predicts a little bit of the future for us. So what right. that means is the two biggest factors for us are jobs and economic growth. So if there's an economic downturn or there's or there's not a lot of new jobs or something or there's a decline in jobs, well that's good that's good for distressed debt. So we buy distressed you know mortgages. So in an economic downturn or when you know jobs are you know there's a high unemployment rate or something like that, well that that can tend to be good for us because that's one of the main reasons people default and then that increases the amount of product available to us. But there's a little bit of a time lag of a couple years because, you know, what we buy today is typically three to five years delinquent or a couple years delinquent at a minimum. Most of what we buy is around a three-year delinquency or more. So even if there was a recession for today and tomorrow and the next six months or a year, we might not see that product until a little bit down the road, if that makes any sense at all. It does. It does. Now, I think most people are probably uh, somewhat surprised that it, it's as much as three or years or more in default. But that's the new that's the new norm now because of the different laws and the banks not wanting to foreclose if they can avoid it uh, because of their bookkeeping. It used to be back in the day where if you got too many months behind, they just pulled the trigger because they knew they were going to be okay. Now, how about let's switch to non-performing liens for the for the investor themselves. What happens to not only the availability but the price and 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 the potential profit and the downside of buying non-performing liens in a recession economy? Well, I, I think the biggest risk is when you're buying non-performing liens and then a recession hits. Because if your liens, some, you know, a lot of the lien pricing is based on equity. So that's kind of what you're experiencing right now is that we've been coming out of a down market, real estate market-wise. And as equity has been coming back in the market, the price of the assets have been going up. Now, if the economy has another dip or downturn, that could change, especially if the downturn starts to affect real estate values. So if you have enough of an economic downturn or jobs to where it starts to impact the real estate market because there's not, you know, because people can't afford to buy or that they can't afford to pay more for houses and it's and the market flattens out, well then that, that you know that has an impact on the non-performing. But our risk on that side is when we buy a portfolio of non-performing assets and then the real estate market falls. That's our biggest risk. Now, why would a real estate market fall? There could be a couple of reasons for that, right? Why don't you tell me what your experience is when that happens on the down market? Have you, have you well, had we've gone situations? Through, yes. Um, so we, we've had that happen on a pretty significant level. 
when we first started our company back in 2007, you know, we were buying assets with a lot of equity and the market actually did crash and the equity in the properties behind our liens fell dramatically. So we had equity deals that turned into to partial equity or no equity deals. And what we found is that just because equity leaves the marketplace doesn't mean people still don't need a place to live. They do. So that what ended up happening was we still were able to work out and modify a significant number of liens, even though the real estate values had fallen. But the value of your portfolio, if you went to sell the assets, for example, you know, that you couldn't sell them for as much because a lot of what gives the assets value is the real estate value of the property behind it, the collateral. So if the collateral falls in value, the value of the asset falls. Throwing out the low and throwing out the high, Dave, what can somebody expect to pay for a non-performing first position note? Well, today it, de it depends on the, the UPB or the, the, uh, the amount at origination. So, for example, the more expensive the first lien, the higher the price. And that's a little bit of a concept for a lot of people to get. So what that means is if a first mortgage was 250000 or more at origination, we've seen them sell as high as $0.79 cents on the dollar for a non-performing. So wow. we have, yeah, so they're going extremely high. $0.75 cents is very common. Um, and then as you get lower and lower, they'll start to come down. So you might see them at $0.65, cents, $0.70. Cents. You know, it could be, you know, 150000 at origination. So they're, they're selling for more and more today, and a lot of that has to do with the equity behind those loans. And you're also seeing there's a lot of cheap capital out there chasing these assets. So in some ways, some of the older margins are shrinking, but the value of the assets are going up because there's more equity in the marketplace. Right. Now that leads me into my next question is that when foreclosure is indicated, with a performing first position lien, whether it's a note or a land contract, and the property can't be sold due to whatever economic reality at the time. How does the cash flow typically compare to what the note income had been when you're renting it out? Well, the performing loan would be go non-performing is what you're saying. Oftentimes what we're finding is the payment on that first mortgage the new, um, if you were to originate a new mortgage or you were to rent it out, it tends to be higher than what the old one was. That's what we're seeing mostly today. I just had that happen in Florida on one where I think we're all in at 30, 35,000, the property's worth in the 70s. So in some, in a lot of these cases where you're foreclosing, uh, whether you fix the property up or sell it, you can, you can actually, a lot of times you're making more money than if you were to modify that existing previous mortgage, especially if you're in an or area where values been, are going up. Yeah. And if it had been performing, sometimes that, that cash flow after all expenses and everything of renting the property can equal or even exceed what you were getting on the payment. Um, that's not the rule, but I've No, but like the, the example I just had, right, it was, um, I forget what the original first was, it was like 40 or 50,000, whatever it was. And we were, I think we were all in in the 30s after fixing it up, right? Well, that thing would rent for 1350. Well, I'm not getting that on that payment. That's what I meant by that. So there are scenarios where the rent is dramatically higher than what the previous mortgage payment would have been 
And if you had modified the previous mortgage payment, sometimes usually that modification is a lower payment than the original note payment. And there are cases today, if you're in a one of the more favorable real estate markets where that rent could be higher or significantly higher than what that either of those payments would have been. I just had right. that question. And it, it, Asset manager was in our office saying, do we want to renovate this? You know, and occasionally we get that because it makes, because the rent's so high in that area. Let's shift gears, Dave. Uh, would you please explain to our listeners what a partial is with notes and land contracts? Everybody hears about them, and they're, I get questions all the time. I explain it, but uh, you, I've done a lot of partials. You've done probably 30 partials for every one I've done. Why don't you explain that for us? <laughs> Believe it or not, partials is not something I've done a lot with, uh, personally with or as a company, but we, a lot of the people we sell to utilize partials. And they utilize partials to recapitalize. And there's reasons we don't. It's because we don't have the time to or we don't have the bandwidth to do it. Whereas, because we're in a larger volume scenario. But for us, what I would say, I don't want to say smaller investor, but for a smaller investor, um, partials are where you sell part of the loan. So you can sell the front end of the loan. You can sell the back end of the loan. You can sell the first five years of the loan, you can sell a certain amount of money of the loan, say the loan's 40000 and you want to sell $10,000 worth of the loan. So a lot of times what happens is partials work better in a low equity market, for example. Well, they work in any market, but they're more favorable in a down market than, say, borrowing against a note, because a lot of people do what's called a collateral assignment of note and mortgage, where they borrow against the note. But partials are where you're selling a piece of the note, and it makes sense in a down market because you could sell a partial that's covered by equity, even though your note might not be fully covered with equity. So I'll give you an example there. You know, you could have a $40,000 mortgage. You want to sell $10,000 worth of it. Well, maybe there's only $30,000 worth of equity. By selling a partial, the partial part is still covered by equity, so that new investor feels secure. And it might be a situation where maybe you bought that mortgage for 10000 you modified it, and now it's worth, you know, they, they owe the, you know, the modifications 40000 right? And you could sell that for much more money with a pay history. Well, maybe you want to sell off the partial and get your capital back that you invested to buy that note in that scenario, you know? Now, I don't know that I explained that <laughs> well enough, but no, it's, usually, it's usually contractual. You're, what you're doing is you're selling a piece of the note mortgage. You're selling you know, a certain dollar amount or a certain number of years, that type of thing. And there are people that keep the back end of those. Uh, I know a lot of real estate investors that keep the back end of those in their like IRA account. So they'll sell the front part, get all their money back, and maybe even all their money and a little bit of profit. And then they might own the last 10 years of a 20-year payout or 30-year payout. They'll own the, the end of it. And that tail end might be owned by an, a retirement account sometimes. So. Got it. Got it. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> I don't know if I made it more confusing. <laughs> well, it's just a concept that you can sell part of a note. You know, in your example, if they sold 10000 of a $40,000 lien, 
maybe the payment on the forty thousand was four hundred a month, just to give an example. So they they give a hundred dollars a month of that to the ten thousand dollar investor, and they do it for whatever agreed about number of years. Maybe it's for the life of the lien. Maybe it's for a short term, well defined. Jeff, usually it's for a lower yield than what you're currently getting, and then you're making a little more on the spread. So partials are a great way to recapitalize and make a higher yield on your investment. Right. The way I've done it is I've just done the quick math, Dave, on what's my total payment and then do a partial and have that partial be amortized by that payment over however many years. So it pays itself off. I'm not worried about a balloon. The note pays off early, then I have the money, and everybody's happy. Yeah, usually the person buying or investing in the partial is in a safer position. They're usually fully covered by equity in most cases, and uh, they're usually happy campers. And it's a lot. Oftentimes, it's for shorter terms. So, you know, maybe I'm an investor who doesn't want to tie my money up for 20 or 30 years, but I'm okay with tying my money up for five. And, you know, and I'll make a lower yield that's a very safe position that's actually ahead of the note owner for the remaining part, you know. So it's it's a safe position. It's fully covered with equity. And I'm, my money is not tied up long, you know. So a lot of times that's, that's real favorable to the person that wants to invest in the partial. Because oftentimes people ask that, why would somebody buy a partial? Well, there's plenty of very good, valid reasons to do that where it's a win-win for all parties, you know. Well, in the in the example of how I do it and have done it in the past, I would say I do it 80% of the time. Is I'll take that example of 40,000. It's $400 a month. It might be a five-year amortization, and I can get just short of $20,000 at 8%. I'm making 12, and they get 8%. And like you said, they're happy with 8%. And right. they get five years, and their their money's back, so they're feeling safe there. And I'm I'm covered by the payment. So. Uh, right. Everybody is happy. That's well, good. Well, point. thanks so much for joining us, Dave. I can't wait till next time, and we'll catch everybody next time. Sounds good, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Ball Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Dave Van Horn.